really <laughs> pleased to welcome Gary Megan here. <laughs> hey, how are you? Hello, Rishi. How are you? I'm good. I hope your family and you are safe and healthy and you've got them vaccines, Gary. Yep, we are all vaxxed and ready to go. You know, as soon as they open those borders, I think we're traveling. That's the whole idea. Australia is open for business and we're going. <laughs> I'm glad you said the V very pronounced as opposed to the W, which would mean waxed in a totally different way. <laughs> <laughs> well, waxed and vaxed. I mean, that's the new, maybe that's the new t-shirt. <laughs> maybe that's a new t-shirt. <laughs> Gary, I mean, uh, it's it's been a tremendous career. You have so much love for India and Indians have so much love for you. So I, I really want to start with the Indian connection. This must be the longest you've been away from our wonderful country. And really, oh, yeah. you know, all the, all the each time you've come here, you've enjoyed our multicultural cuisine and also collaborated with fun, some of our finest chefs, uh, Saranj and Ranveer Brar and Thomas and Pooja Dhingra. So talk to yeah. me about the Indian food experience. Yeah, I mean, look, the first visit, we came over with Ozfest, which was, uh, you know, it's a kind of a cultural exchange, I suppose, that the, the Australian government government put on to kind of show off, you know, Australia, but it's an exchange of ideas and all sorts of things. And George and I came out, I think in 2012. So that was our first baptism of fire. I think we went to Mumbai and Delhi. I think that was about it, actually. But that was enough. I mean, you know, when people say to me, you know, if I'm going to go to India, where do I start? I say, well, start in Mumbai, for example, because, you know, it just gives you the whole kind of gamut of experience. New York City on steroids, plus all the rest of it. But from a food perspective, I think we were quite stunned. I think we prime to coming for the first time, I'd always had this strange idea that India had this kind of homogenized cuisine. I think because of our immigration experience and seeing a lot of what the Indian communities had brought to Australia. But when we went, I think we were just gobsmacked. I mean, people like Thomas Zacharias, you know, putting a different touch and a little modern twist on some traditional dishes that, you know, even the locals were like, oh, I'm not sure you can put that on, you know, Sarsam Saag, for example. Who wants cornbread and, you know, popcorn with jaggery on, on their uh, greens? But, you know, delicious. Um, Indian accent, you know, fine dining experience best restaurant in India in the Asia's top 50 and I think number 17 in, you know, the top 50 in the world, you know, just, you know, putting a sophisticated touch on beautiful flavors and street food. I mean, you know, where do I start? You know, when people ask me, what's the best street food in the world? You know, is it Vietnamese? Is it Thai? Is it Japanese? I go, no, it's Indian. You need to go because you'll just be, you'll be stunned. So I don't know, in a nutshell, you know, it's, it was a kind of um, a culture shock but the nicest one that I could ever think of. Well, well you know, with Pani Puri, let me start at that. <laughs> uh, when they serve you a Pani Puri, normally they put in the spicy water and some sweet yep. chutney. I'm the yep. kind of guy who says, take the sweet chutney off and just give me the spicy stuff. How's your, how's your yeah, Pani no. Puri experience been? <laughs> yeah, no, it's the same. Absolutely. Mind you, I always do that as a as an Australian. I always do that quick check behind the counter just to see what's going on because I want to know where that little, you know, that Panipuri water's been and where it's come from just in case I have one of those deli belly experiences, which I must be honest, I've only ever had, I've eaten a lot of street food and I've only ever had one of those bad experiences. And that was actually in somebody's home from water. So, you know, there you go. But yeah, look, Panipuri, it's funny. I, I had some Indian friends that came to Australia, came to Melbourne and went to eat in a quite a well-known restaurant that's got an Indian, it's not an Indian restaurant, but it's got Indian flavors. And the Panipuri are about six Australian dollars each. And they were like, what? <laughs> Street food. <laughs> you know, yeah. So gone gone is that experience of standing there going like a shooter, you know, just give me one and then another one. And then, you know, six <laughs> Panapuri down the track. Do you stop or do you keep going? <laughs> well, now that we've talked about my wonderful country and your food experience there, let me just flip the tables. I mean, Australia is opening up. How does one yep. explore and enjoy 
not just indigenous Australian cuisine, but also Aboriginal cuisine, which we're really fascinated yeah. by. Yeah, I think, you know, the, I think probably as a kind of a, you know, if I, I, I could encourage anybody, because a lot of people that are obviously listening to me are, are foodies. I think like most tourism now, it's about stepping outside of the normal. I mean, once upon a time, you'd come to Australia and you might go, it was called the Reef Rock and Harbour experience so you go to sydney you go to airs rock and you go to the great barrier reef and that was your kind of singular experience of of australia whereas now i think it's much more um specialized you know people want to come here and they want an adventure holiday so they want to ride a motorcycle in the simpson desert you know for seven days and and challenge themselves or they want to swim with the whale sharks at you know ningaloo reef for example in western australia or they want a food experience for example where and it could be quite traditional where they want to immerse themselves in i don't know the coffee culture in melbourne or or the cafe culture in Sydney and, you know, look at the beautiful harbour. In terms of Indigenous experiences, I mean, for example, one of my favourite uh, experiences of all time actually was uh, a tour company and all of these resources are online, really easily searched, lots of different experiences that you can have. But a couple of guys uh, on Kuya Beach, which is north of um, Cairns, and they took us on a walkabout where we just basically went looking for mud crabs in the mangroves. So you've got to stick your hand, you know, underneath the roots into the mud and tickle the crab on the belly and hook one out. Uh, you know, we pulled cockles from, from the sand. You know, we spearfished. Uh, we found little berries and fruits that not only you could eat and leaves that you could eat or that were breath fresheners or, you know, would clear your eyes. Like gave us a unique like a little touch point, and it's such a big kind of experience, but a little touch point, you know, on Indigenous kind of history in that area. And really lovely and about how, you know, Brandon, for example, he was a great footy player. So not what you expected, but, you know, it's a bit like going to India and seeing how crazy everybody is about cricket. But obviously in Indigenous communities, footy is, you know, a massive thing. Like we draft out of these communities often up north into the uh, into our football league, right, here in, in Australia. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's about finding your you know, what do you want to do? You know, what, what excites you? And doing a little bit of research, you know, burrowing, burrowing in and then following that trail. Um, and I think for foodies like me, I've seen Australia change over the last 10 years, you know, immeasurably. I don't recognise it anymore. It's, you know, every capital is has its own, you know, heartbeat and feel. You can get a different experience wherever you go. I tell you this, uh, this doesn't qualify as indigenous food. But I remember when we went to Adelaide, somebody suggested we go up to this, you know, this German town, a small little German village. I love that street. Maybe. Yeah, and off, and off. Yeah. yeah. yeah it gorgeous. was just wonderful. You know, we ate at a couple of places. Uh, you know, we shopped off the street. I, I thought it was a really spectacular, spectacular experience. I'm glad to see that, you know, uh, despite MasterChef Australia not having the three of you together, <laughs> because you have such a long run and such camaraderie, you still, from time to time collaborate uh, with your friends i believe matt yeah. preston and you are co-hosting plate of origin you want to tell me about that yeah yeah we did we filmed that uh, last year actually before the you know i think the first lockdown to be honest uh, we we were lucky enough to film it get it in the bag and then come we filmed that in sydney so yeah that's uh it was a competition it was actually designed to sit around the olympic games um you know it was a competition of, of food so we had you know the indian team vietnamese team Cambodian team, you know, you name it. So it was, it was a bit of fun. And then since then, Matt and I have probably pitched in five or six different concepts and ideas uh, to see if we can get them off the ground here in Australia first. So everything from travel shows to, you know, uh, competition food shows and, you know, a couple of different concepts. So fingers crossed, you know, as things start to free up and, you know, we can move around a little bit more. And unfortunately, in this business, you need to, you need to move around. You'll, you'll see us again on something new. 
I have a little story about George. I mean, just like this, I did an interview with him uh, when, you know, pre-pandemic on one of his India yeah. trips. And, uh, you know, we got along so well that he said, mate, when you, when you do come into Melbourne, you have to come into the press club. And he, and he was very kind, the wife and me and, and the kids went. I tell you this, he fed us so much. That the, only two, two things, the only two things that matter in my life are tennis and, and uh, food. And I had booked a tour at Melbourne Park at the Australian Tennis Centre. Yeah. And I actually missed out on that because the food just kept coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. So I would have just, just said, George, you should yeah. have said, George, put it on hold. I've got a tour to do. I'll be back. You know, that's how Press it works. Club is fabulous. Uh, and, I, and I see that you've, uh, you've co-authored a, a book with him. Is it called Your Place or Mine? Are there a couple of books or just a book? Yeah, we did. Yeah, it's quite a while ago now. We, we did a couple of books together, uh, Your Place or Mine or Cook With Us. Um, Cook with I'm us, not yeah. even sure if they're still available, but mm -hmm. I've, just uh, I've just written a new book, which is being released on the 19th of October, you know, which I'm really proud about, which is good food every day. And that will be available actually on Book Depository. I think they ship worldwide now for free, you know, which is awesome. great. So, you know, that's good news for our Indian fans. So, yeah, we, you know, we're keeping busy doing a bit of podcasting, uh, odd television appearances, um, and I even get a chance to have a bit of time for myself, which has been unknown in the past. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> pandemic has done that to a few of us. Ah, yeah, uh, yeah new appreciation. Yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, co-writing a book, for example, the two that you wrote with George, as opposed to the one you've written solo, you obviously, you know, it's a lonely exercise, isn't it? Banging away at a typewriter or, uh, you know, the pen or whatever you might call it. Yeah, well, fun funnily enough, the first book, which was um, Your Place or Mine, we, we came up with the ideas, and, and ideas are cheap, let's, let's be honest, right? But we came up with the ideas on a plane to Perth. So we had four and a half hours, and we agreed that what we would do was bring ideas to the table. And, of course, we sat down and went, right, where's your notes, where's my notes? And George goes, well, I haven't written any notes. I said, well, I haven't written any notes. And you know what we did? We just had the most wonderful four and a half hours of just chucking ideas around and thinking about food like you would just as chefs in the kitchen. You know, like, okay, I want to do a roast fish dish. You know, what do we put with it? You know, what's going to go well with it? And George would say one thing and I'd say another thing. And whether it made it or not into the book, it was, I still remember that plane trip. And I reckon we got to the end of it and kind of slapped our notebooks together and go, I think we're onto something, you know? I think we've got a cookbook in the bag here. But that's when all the hard work starts from that point there but yeah it's a very it's a very different experience i mean the book that i've just written you know in a sense the the, the lockdown suited me really well i cooked a lot for my family recipe tested uh, you know they got to i suppose veto the dishes that they thought wouldn't work and you know tick the dishes that they thought would work and uh yeah i was it, i i really enjoyed the experience i don't think i've cooked at home as much as the last 18 months. Those of you listening or watching, Good Food Every Day by Gary Megan is out. You might want to go online and uh, check it out and uh, see where you can order your copy. So I'm given to understand that you've actually divided it into sections, Gary, where you know you, you talk about how you cook for groups of people, how you're cooking in a rush, how you're trying to cook something new. I leave you to, to explain that. Yeah, it's more about, you know, I mean, this book is, you know, when we talked uh, to the publisher, they wanted to, there's so many cookbooks. I mean, at this time of the year going into Christmas, you know, you, you know, there's a, there's a rush on cookbooks and you go, how the hell are we going to choose which one to cook? And there, there are cookbooks that are sit on the coffee table and are full of beautiful glossy photos. And, you know, I've written those in the past, but this one, we took a chance. There's no pictures. There's about 300 plus recipes. It's got a, it feels beautiful, but it's the kind of book that I want not sitting on a shelf in the you know in the in the other room but kind of hanging around the kitchen getting a little a little kind of a little greasy and sticky from you know overuse and so the recipes in there are, are kind of things that i've gathered over the years 
professionally, but mostly from my travels and mostly, you know, there's a lot of family recipes in there that uh, we cook pretty much every day of the week. And I think the idea was to try and put a practical, modern classic together full of recipes that people want to cook. So there's lots of tips and tricks. There's my golden rules. There's little ideas about how to, you know, cook something quicker or faster or use one idea from one page in another section. And then the kind of, uh, the way we've divided the book up, for example, I've got a whole section on stews and curries and mostly they're curries. You know, there's a couple of stews, but mostly they're curries and they're things that, you know, I've, you know, collected on my various trips, you know, to India. So I've got, I've got, Honestly, the Indian audience will flick through and go, I'm sure when they look at my Sikh kebab recipe, you know, or my uh, Merg Malai, they'll just go, hang on a minute, Gary, where's this ingredient or where's that ingredient? <laughs> but they've become family favorites, you know. So I've just, I've thrown them in the book and I'm hoping that, you know, for a different palate, you know, a good friend of mine got the book recently and she cooked uh, the butter chicken, you know, which to be honest, shh, don't tell anyone, it's not my recipe. I've borrowed it from a few different chefs <laughs> That's that I called up and said, hang on a minute, what's the secret? How do you do this? And they've given me some tips and tricks, but it's become a family favorite into my house. And then I think it was day before yesterday, Deb sent me a picture of her butter chicken and said, wow. So I was like, we're onto a good oh, thing. <laughs> so it's nice to see. Well, now that you have admitted that you have some time free on your hands, this is also a wonderful cue for people who are making their first trip to Australia, who have yeah. been just fed up of being home during the pandemic <laughs> and who are trying to book their tickets to come there. So what do you do when you're not cooking or you're not you know, indulging in your business and podcasting and writing and all these exciting things you, uh, you do? What's your favorite thing to do in Oz? Oh, gee, where do I start? I mean, to be honest, I'm a man of simple taste these days. We've got a couple of beautiful dogs and where we live on the Mornington Peninsula, um, which is a wine you know, growing area. We, we make some of, not me personally, but some of the wineries make some of the best Chardonnay in the world. We also live next to one of the best strawberry farms on the planet too. So we've got lots of great walks and, you know, going out, you know, in freer times for a glass of wine in the afternoon is just one of my favorite activities. But walking the dogs on Flinders Beach, you know, it's, it's not something that I've just kind of embraced during, you know, these strange times, but something that I've realized that I need to kind of, you know, keep me sane in a, in a busy world. You know, I've been nonstop for a lot of years now. So that's something that I enjoy. And then I love traveling around Victoria, particularly. I mean, the high country, Millowa, you know, there's, you know, in and around Harrietville, there's lots of what's happened in Australia is this kind of and, and again, it's happened in India, but in, in Australia, this kind of burgeoning interest in artisans and provenance, you know, where ingredients are from, cheesemakers, beer makers, cider makers, you know, distilleries, uh, you name it. I mean, it's all part of the tourist trail. I mean, there's a famous um, pumpkin seed farm. You'll think I'm crazy, but there's a pumpkin seed wow. farm in uh, the Ovens Valley in Northeast Victoria that is that make that grow the most unique pumpkin seed. They're called Styrian pumpkin seeds. They're massive, and they make pumpkin seed flour, salted pumpkin seeds, plain pumpkin seeds, chocolate pumpkin seeds, plus all sorts of other nut meals and oils and things. And I know it sounds silly if you're not a foodie. Like if you love tennis, you're thinking, "What the hell is he talking about?" But I will travel a fair distance just to have an experience around that. And then when you go to a restaurant, somewhere like Attica, that is one of our best restaurants here in Australia, and he uses those particular pumpkin seeds, there's a lovely connection. You know, there's, I think people, when they're tourists, want those experiences. So that's some of it. I'm a, I'm a crazy motorcyclist. I love, you know, the long winding roads uh, to nowhere. You know, I think that's what I say on my Instagram. So, you know, when I'm, you know, when I'm got a bit of time on my hands, I jump on my motorcycle and, you know, head off into the hills. And I love the beach, you know, if I can jump in the car and head around the New South Wales coast, you know, to a place, you know, one of my favorite places, Bermagui, Eden, uh, Naruma, it is just like God's country, you know, really. And I, and awesome. I could keep talking for hours, but, uh, <laughs> that's lovely. you know, maybe, no, maybe, maybe, you one, know maybe 
maybe one day I can take that motorcycle, you know, north of Delhi through Malawi and up into the Himalayas. You know, that's ah, the that would be the trip. <laughs> that would be the trip. You actually segued nicely into my next question. I mean, you mentioned Attica, one of your favorite restaurants. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, it's a ridiculous question to ask you. What are your favorite eateries across Australia? Because there's so oh, such a vast country. Yeah, so yeah. let's just stick to Victoria and say, you know, if people were to travel to Victoria, uh, what's a uh, an eatery that you would recommend? A restaurant that you would recommend? Oh, if you're going to go, I mean, the CBD, the central business districts in Melbourne is so easy to, you know, even if you're not staying there, it's easy to get into. You know, it's, you know, Melbourne's a great city to get around. I mean, if you've been here, you know, so you can jump on a bicycle or a tram or, you know, catch an Uber or, you know, a train and, and the, and the central business district is jam packed full of great restaurants. I think some are probably not one of my favorites, but some of my favorites tend to be either an eclectic kind of Southeast Asian or, you know, that kind of influence restaurant. So, Supernormal, for example, which is owned and run by a guy called Andrew McConnell. And he also has a business across the road called Cumulus. Two very different restaurants, but one you can get kind of a, you know, uh, like a Korean barbecue pork in a bao bun with some, you know, some pickles or a Heinies, you know, white cooked chicken with, you know, black uh, sesame seed paste. And then the other one you might be sitting down and eating. I don't know, local oysters with a, you know, shallot vinaigrette sitting at the bar having a Chardonnay. So two, two experiences, just like a stone's throw from each other. Um, another one would be, um, oh, and I'm just thinking, uh, maybe a wine, exp- a, a wine experience, you know, at Syracuse, for example, where, you know, your rooftop, you know, you can look at, stare at the city, have a few nibbles and kind of just while away an evening, you know, uh, the European is another one. I could keep going, but, you know, I think the nice thing about the dining scene in Melbourne, as it is really across Australia, is you've got plenty of choice. You know, you we've got a Vietnamese strip, we've got a Chinese strip, you know, we've got, you know, a, a Turkish and Lebanese strip, you know, so you can kind of uh, choose your poison and head head in the direction you fancy. Now let's talk about the podcast. Uh, it's called A Plate to Call Home. Love the title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I believe you've, you've, you've chatted with one of my eternal favorites, the lovely Nigella Lawson. And a few others. Yeah. You want to tell me about the podcast, please? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the way I look at it, it, for me, it's just a, a kind of personal pleasure to have, you know, a long meandering and sometimes unexpected chat, you know, with some of your favorite people. And in this case, you know, foodie people. So, yeah, Nigella Lawson, for example, Curtis Stone or, you know, Jock Sonfrillo, who's, you know, a current judge on MasterChef. You know, and you, you unearth some surprising stories and they can be, you know, challenges that you never knew you know, that they faced, you know, you look at people like Nigella Lawson and think she's just got this glorious, you know, glittering and shiny life. And yet, you know, she's had a fair share of, of struggles and she's a very sensitive um, and thoughtful individual. You know, what you see is what you get. You know, I've got a lovely story of when she first came onto MasterChef, we thought she'd turn up with an entourage, of, you know, like a superstar <laughs> with, you know, 20 people. And she turned up with a one person, which was her makeup and slash personal assistant and we were like is this it and she was like yeah and i remember going to a local cafe and not particularly fancy one too and just having a coffee and people walking past and just flabbergasted you know we're sitting on the pavement you know having a coffee and there's nigella lawson and the three ugly guys from masterchef so you know it's a it so what i find is they're kind of nice touch points you know i can get to explore either you know that we have producers and you know cheesemakers and you know egg producers or farmers or uh, top chefs you know like ben shuri's been on and you know really talked about his kind of formative years as a chef but also his, his struggles in business and particularly with the start out of covid his charitable you know endeavors to to keep hospitality and their workers going you know so that's why i love it you know it's tv's often a kind of quick 
shout kind of exercise. You get a snapshot of something. Radio, uh, podcasting is a different medium and it relies on a different kind of set of skills. And I enjoy that. Just curious to know, uh, I remember if I've got my Gary Megan history right, uh, you were invested <laughs> in, in Phoenix, the restaurant, and then uh, yeah. Mary Bernal, the boathouse. Uh, yeah, are you, are boathouse, you invested yeah. in, in, in any restaurant right now? No, I, I, gee, I, I, against all of my poor colleagues that are struggling in business at the moment, I feel kind of lucky yeah. that I'm not. But um, yeah, we, it, it kind of was a natural, with both restaurants, actually, it was a natural kind of uh, change. You know, for Phoenix, we ran that for close to 15, 15 years. You know, we were one of the best restaurants in, in Melbourne. We had a function center, uh, a cafe. It was busy business. And um, yeah, we got an offer on the table that, I think my business partner and I looked at each other at the time and said, I didn't think we ever wanted to sell, but now we've got an offer. Why don't we? So it was just like, you know, sometimes in the restaurant business, you're lucky to have a moment like that. So we took it. And then the Maribyrn Roadhouse, I think we sold uh, four years ago now. That'll be right, right? And a, and a catering business that, to be honest, was it was going to take a lot. Of, I think we'd been running it for three years and was going to take a long time to really make some inroads. And I think I've realized now at 54 that maybe I've got other things that I want to do. And every time I mention to my wife that I might have a restaurant idea, she walks out of the room. <laughs> my condolences. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, but, but Gary, India has seen a rise in home catering and home food delivery. I mean, yeah. a lot of restaurants yeah. have gotten destroyed because of the pandemic. Yeah. Big kitchen events. Are you, is, do you still own that, the catering business? No, no. Yeah. And look, it's interesting because catering companies, again, have been decimated because obviously it's no public events, you yeah. know, especially we, we were quite, uh, we were looking after, or one of the, I think, four caterers that looked after the Melbourne Cup, for example. So, you know, we're talking big numbers. And so that's being decimated too. And, and actually, it's interesting because one of my close friends has got a catering business that he's managed to, you know, switch around. I, I avoid the word pivot, but switch around into, you know, meal delivery and home delivery and actually found that you know, I think this is going to be his future. This is what he's really focused on. Um, so it's been quite a transition for a, a lot of businesses, a lot of restaurants. I mean, we've seen, we've seen it in cities all over the world. And I think you, obviously, we all want to get out and, you know, socialize and, you know, that experience of going out together, I think we need, you know, we're social animals. But there's certainly young chefs and young restaurant restaurateurs and entrepreneurs have really bent, bent their brains to try and think about how they transition restaurants out of the traditional four walls that we're used to experiencing. And that home delivery, that restaurant experience at home, that, um, you know, whether it's uh, pre-packaged meals that we're all too busy and we need something nutritious and healthy and better than a frozen meal. I mean, they're all opportunities. It's going to be really interesting to see, you know, what path hospitality takes out of this. And I think it's kind of a multi-pronged approach for many. You know, whereas once I think a lot of businesses had all their eggs in one basket, I think now they're open to... They're, they're, they're quick to change and open to ideas and collectively too are prepared to work with each other, which is, you know, it's probably the biggest change in hospitality since it began. The Fox Life show, Masters of Taste, a couple of seasons down. In fact, some good news. I believe you guys <laughs> picked up a, an award at the Asian Television Awards recently. Yeah, cinematography. Yeah, so yeah, we did. I it mean, looks like you really fabulous. enjoyed yourself on that show. Oh, yeah? my, my goodness. You know, if, if you love food and tennis, I love food and food. You know, so it was, um, I don't know, I, I, that, I think that the second series of Masters of Taste, Family Table, which we won the award for, I think was my favorite all-time, you know, experience, you know, wow. in television. It, just because of those kind of close and personal stories and connections you make, you know, when you're traveling around. 
and I, yeah, I really hold those close. I, I talk to the exec producer regularly. You know, he's got a, keeps in touch with me, lets me know what's going on. And I said to him the other day, I sent him a picture of me on the streets, I think of uh, Chandichuk and uh, said, when are we going to do this next? And he said, hopefully soon. Lovely. So, you know, somewhere else this time, chef on the road. That's the idea. Listen, what's on your phone? I mean, what kind of music do you listen to? Are you, uh, are you an old uh, Australian pop hits, Michael Hutchins, Kylie Minogue kind of guy? Are you influenced by the kids of these, this generation? What are you listening to? <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I've got probably the most eclectic taste. I've got a young daughter. She's 20 years old. And uh, I don't know whether it was my wife or I, but she's got a brilliant selection and brilliant taste in music. Please. It goes from kind of age old <laughs> classics and bands that you think kids are not interested in. Like it could be, it could be the Rolling Stones or the Cure or, you know, anything, you know, punk, rock, hard rock, all sorts of stuff. The only thing that she's not into, which I have a little pension for, and I love all the all the good stuff, all the, you know, all the earthy stuff, the 80s, the 90s, I like a little bit of um, trance. And I'm almost embarrassed to tell you, you know, a little <laughs> kind of, um, what, what do you call it? Um, Electronic dance uh, music, Gary. That's what it's called. EDM. Here, we, here we go. And the last <laughs> thing you want to see is me dancing to electronic uh, music from the 90s, right? But there's a little bit of me. It's a strange kitchen tale because strangely, that kind of a very basic, almost tribal beat that runs through everything is the perfect chopping music. Boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> it's a certain pace. Yeah. It's like, hurry up, guys. Let's go. <laughs> but yeah, anything. And actually, if we're talking kind of Australian rock, then, you know, it could be Cold Chisel, for example. You name it. I'll awesome. listen to it. <laughs> Friends of Australia. Now, you're part of it. It must be such an honor and privilege to be part of Friends of Australia. Also, some uh, some huge Indian uh, celebrities in there. Mitali Raj, who's our cricket captain, who's currently yeah. in Australia. Parniti, who's an actress. And of course, uh, you know, Australians who Indians love, which is Brett Lee, yourself, Glenn McGrath, yeah. and, uh, and Chris Hemsworth. I can't believe that Thor. you're mentioning me in the same uh, breath as Brett Lee and, you know, McGrath. Unbelievable. <laughs> you are you are to food what they are to cricket. <laughs> but yeah, it, it must be it must be a privilege, and you know you know being in that in that August company representing uh, uh, Australia. Yeah, yeah, I think we all play you know we all play different parts in appealing to different interests in life, and I think you know that's the uh, you know it, it then cements us into a different community rather than just being sitting in our lane, which is really lovely. So yeah, absolutely. You know whether it's an actor, an artist, an indigenous artist, or you know you know who would have thought a cook, you know, and a famous you know famous uh, cricket players so yeah it's 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 nice company to keep on both sides of the you know of the border so to speak <laughs> my last question uh, is really about um, the show master chef i mean you were on it for 12 years if i'm not mistaken yeah have, you, close, have, yeah. have you guys have you guys put a finger on how it became the monstrous success that it did become i mean sometimes you're in it you're in the whole bubble as it were and you yeah. can't put your finger on it and it's successful i mean there have been versions of master chef in every conceivable language on this planet but it's just yeah. the australian one that broke through what do you think is the secret of that yeah it's interesting because i think probably from an indian perspective it might be something different from you know, for, say from an Australian perspective. But I think, to be honest, when it comes to the three of us and, and the show, and I think, you know, I'm very proud to say that we were part of that kind of development of the show and the, you know, the, I'm trying to think of the right word, but the kind of ethics and, you know, principles that we stuck by. I think being yourself, you know, it, being true to yourself and being passionate about, you know, where the ultimate food is. We've all, we're the nerds, you know, the food nerds. Um, and creating an experience and a, and a, and I'm trying to put it, I'm trying to think about that contestant experience at the time was completely unique. You know, traditionally in reality television, there was a good judge and a bad judge and a, 
you know, and, a, and one in the middle that kind of was neither here nor there. And I remember when we first kicked off, the executive producer within the first couple of episodes came up to the three of us and drew us in really close as if we were the only three people in the room on, under those lights and said, I don't know what it is that you're doing, but just keep doing it because it works. And I think what he meant by that is that unusually in that reality genre, we were just being very honest and giving our, our feedback as we saw it. But most importantly, there was there was always there has to be a negative, there has to be a point of improvement and constructive improvement, but there has to be a positive. You know, so we might give one or two negatives, but there was always a positive. And actually in television, it was always the other way around. It'd always be a it's like, you know, when the boss gets you into the office and says, you know, Rishi, you're doing a fantastic job. I love what you're doing, but but <laughs> <laughs> and you always walk out the door feeling like, you know, yeah. you know, terrible. So for us, it was quite natural that it you'd always finish on a positive, always encourage, you know, a, a, you know, another go, a better performance, uh, you know, a more thorough think about what they were doing. And I think it kind of set the benchmark. And people here in Australia very quickly just got to know us as Matt, George and Gary, and they'd wave us to us in the street. And, yeah. you know, my wife would go, who's that? And I go, I don't know, but I just wave him back. And I think we always, <laughs> maybe people could sense that we felt very privileged and very um, honoured to kind of hold that place in, you know, on, on our televisions. And certainly when it went to India, we, you know, and it became successful, we were just stunned. You know, we really were. And I think that possibly the same thing applied, that people appreciated our honesty and our interest and our, you know, it was kind of refreshing at the time that it wasn't negative in, in any way and that it was all about the good things in life. So possibly, you know, that's what it was. And hopefully we've left that, you know, for others to to carry on and, you know, well into the future. On that uh, lovely note, Gary, thank you for chatting with me. It's been a pleasure. And uh, <laughs> thank you, see you soon, hopefully, hopefully in person, yeah, in, in person. a studio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> soon. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we can, maybe we can go to a restaurant and talk about George. Yeah, <laughs> that'll be fun. How about that? Yeah, fit a bit of tennis in while we're at it. <laughs> sure. Fantastic. Sure, it's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much. Nice to talk to you.